Good morning. Last last Sunday of the month. Hard to believe, ain't it? We'll come back next week. It'll be March. Um, just two little things real fast. Um, as you can see that uh, we got somebody coming in the back door. <laughs> Everybody look at her when she comes in. Uh, we don't have the girls with us, or the foster kids with us, and we won't have them anymore. We had to take them back Wednesday night to uh, Ebenezer Children's Home, uh, so we will not have the girls anymore unless something happens with the court system and we are able to get Willow back. Uh, she looks beautiful. James, help her. <laughs> I felt... I felt bad for you. <laughs> so anyway, they're they're gone, but they're they're not in uh, foster care, like foster care family like we was. Uh, they're actually at Ebenezer Children's Home, so they're in with not just uh, two girls, but I don't know. There's a whole passel of them things. Them girls. Wednesday night, I don't know. There's a dozen or so probably in that house. So anyway, they had a bunch of bunch of girls to play with. So. And then. Um, we made a couple calls this week about Miss Betty Rouse up here. Uh, I went by yesterday evening and, and visited Greg and, and uh, Lori was already gone, but uh, they've given Bet about a week to live, roughly a week. Um, she can't swallow, she's, so she's unable to eat. She's pretty lethargic right now. She just kind of sleeps and wallows around in the bed. So they, they've given her about a week. So uh, continue to pray for, for Greg and his wife. Um, Greg, had a, we had a hard time. He had a hard time Thursday. Um, I was up there with him for a while, and he was struggling um, because of some decisions he had to make and wanting to make sure that it was the best for her. So uh, pray for Greg because, uh, I mean, this is it for him. When she's gone, it's just him and Lori now. So be in prayer for uh, for that. Um, and we've got several traveling and several sick, so we've got, we got a lot on our plate. So. Uh, just a, a lot to pray for, but uh, thankful I got somebody to pray to, and that, can, that hears us and is going to take care of our needs. If you got your Bible, we're still over in Haggai chapter two. Haggai chapter two, verse ten. Uh, Lord willing, we'll we'll finish finish this up next Sunday. Um, but this one, uh, guys, this has been a good one this week. I've really enjoyed this uh, this study. I've enjoyed this study in Haggai, but uh, especially these nine verses that we're going to read here in just a few minutes it's, it was it's encouraging folks uh, and it kind of goes along with jerry's lesson a little bit this morning uh about being depressed and that's kind of where uh the these these jews were at the time as they were getting a little they were disheartened uh a little bit depressed but the lord stepped in and done what the lord does so i want i'll start with this have you ever wanted to start over I mean, really, just think about your life. Think, just really, just have flashback in your mind, just a few years, or maybe twenty years, thirty years. Is there something that you've done that wish you wish that uh, you could just start all over with, that you just messed up so bad? Y'all, have you ever seen the the um, oh, uh, Staples commercial? You know, Staples has the easy button; just hit the button and it makes it easy. That'd be nice. Well, they made a killing off of that button, by the way. I've seen them. We was at Staples the other day, and I seen one hanging there. Oh, like $7 for that easy button. And it don't work, by the way. It don't make anything easy. But they made a killing off that button. <laughs> They're nice, but they don't work. But that's not the kind of button I'd like to have. Sometimes I'd like to have an undo button. 
I'd like to have a button sitting there that I could hit and just undo everything that I just done wrong. And I'd probably wear that button out. It need a lot of batteries. But just you know, we mess up. Sometimes we mess up and we want to hit that button. We want to do it. Sometimes we mess up on a project at work or something like that, and we just want to just can I just start all over? Can I just hit an undo button and and, and fix that? Or or maybe a relationship that you just you've messed up. I'm not talking about boyfriend girlfriend, but just maybe some somebody in your family that you just messed that relationship up with, and you just like to be able to hit that undo button and fix it. Or or may, this is the one I was thinking about. Maybe you've missed that big buck, and you'd like to be able to hit that undo button, pull that arrow back, pull that bullet back, and undo it, and, and try again, and it not run away this time. But we want that undo button. We've always wanted to be able to go back and fix whatever we've messed up. We all know that there's no such thing as an undo button. Once we do something, it's done. And, and this is something that I tell my girls, and I tell a lot of people this as well. Uh, our, our words hurt. Our, our words we can't take that back. There's a story of a young man uh, who was, he was mean. He's a young, young boy, and he was mean. And every time he'd do something wrong, his daddy would send him out back, and he'd say, take this hammer, take a nail, bag of nails. And every time you do something wrong or do something mean, I want you to drive those nails in that fence. And after so long, the boy finally figured out, you know, he was a pretty mean feller because that, that, that fence was full of nails. And so once he realized how mean he was and, and, and asked for forgiveness, he went back and his dad said, I'll take that hammer and pull those nails out. And so as that boy was out there and he's pulling those nails out, he realized something. He left a mark. You can ask for forgiveness, but it's still going to leave a mark. Whatever you've said, whatever you've done is going to leave a mark. We've got to be careful with what we say and how we do things because we can ask for forgiveness we can ask them if they'll, un if, can we undo what we've just done? And they might say, yeah, but we're still going to leave that scar. We're still going to leave that mark just like that boy did in that, in that wood. Um, now, now, we know God's powerful. We know we serve a God that's all powerful. He can do all kinds of things in our lives. He can do wonderful, marvelous things in our lives. But you know what? He's not going to undo our past. We've got we to live with it. We have to deal with it. And that's why everything that we do every day, every second, every minute, everything that we do, we got to make sure that it's the right thing to do. We've got to make sure that we seek discernment in God's face and the decisions that we make so that we are not making mistakes because God ain't going to undo what we just done. We can't undo what we just done. We've got to live with it. But you know what he will do? He will allow you to have a start, a fresh new start. He will allow you to have a new start from this moment on, and maybe you won't do that no more. He will give us that. He's always given us that. If he gives you a tomorrow, he's giving you a new start. If he gives you the next breath, the next minute, the next hour, he's giving you a new start. We need those new starts. These Jews needed a new start because of their attitude and the way that they started rebuilding this temple. They needed a new start. Sometimes we need a fresh new start. We know every morning that we get up, God's mercy is new. We know that, and I'm thankful for that. And if his mercy is new, that means he's given us a fresh new start. He's given us a way to, to start all over and, and try to fix our future so that it's not as bad as our past. If you got your Bibles open to, to Haggai 2, stand with me just a moment. We're going to read Haggai 2.10 all the way to 19, 2.10 to 19. 
It says, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy, fl- fl- uh, one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you consider from this day upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands, yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the old, our olive tree hath not brought forth from this day. Will I bless you? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this morning again, we, uh, we thank you for your mercy that's anew. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the future that you've given each one of us as a Christian. Lord, it's a, it's a bright future. Lord, it's a glorious future. And I thank you for that. And I pray that, Lord, as we ponder on our past, uh, Lord, we can look back at it and see where you've been with us and where you've helped us. But, Lord, I pray that not one of us would dwell in the past. But, Lord, we'd seek uh, your face in the future and we'd seek your blessings in the future. God, we thank you for this day that you've given us to worship you. Lord, thank you for this time of fellowship this morning. We thank you for our lesson this morning. Lord, we thank you for the words of Paul. God, I pray that this morning that you would bless those that are unable to be here. Father, I pray that you would uh, protect those that are traveling. God, I ask for just a, a double portion to be poured out upon, uh, upon Greg and, and Lori this morning. Lord, I just ask that uh, your hand of comfort would be placed upon Miss Betty. Uh, Lord, that you would give her a peace right now as in her last days. Father, I pray that you would comfort her and, and take away any pain that she may have. God, we thank you for where you've been by their side. Lord, we thank you for where you've been by our side. And Lord, I pray that we never forget it. I listen to your son's name, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Now that's a lot. Here in uh, here it is three months after they started back on the temple, and they're already having problems. Who would have thunk? A bunch of people that try to worship God have problems. It happens. It ain't just in churches. It's in temples. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's in, it's in uh, whatever today is in February of 2020. There's always going to be problems. We're one or t- you know, the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his presence, or in, gathered in his name, he'll be there. Well, even when there's two or three gathered in his name, there's going to be problems too. We always find problems in churches and in, in the temples like we're reading about. There's going to be some problems there. Now, the people, the reason they were having these problems is because they had the wrong attitude. When they came in to rebuild, they had the wrong attitude. When you come into church trying to worship with the wrong attitude, you ain't going to worship. 
I hate to tell you that. You come in here with a bad attitude towards me or somebody else in this church, you ain't going to worship. You come in in here without having a repented heart and as clean a heart as you can have before you come through those church doors, you ain't going to worship. I'm sorry to tell you that. We got to make sure that we come in in the right heart with a repented heart. We got to make sure we come in here with the attitude of worship. We come in here wanting to worship. Not because we've got to check this off our bucket list for the week because i got to go to church on Sunday. We don't, you don't come in here like that. We need to come in here and want to worship and have a better attitude. They're working hard like they always did, but their hearts wasn't in it. When we come in here and we try to worship hard, we try to worship the way that, that we were supposed to worship, if your heart ain't in it, you ain't going to get nothing out of it. I promise you that. If your heart ain't in this service, you ain't going to get nothing out of it. A little boy one time, his dad was a was a, a, a evangelist, and a little boy went with his dad one Sunday night to preach. And when he walked in, there was when he walked in the back door in foyer, there was a, a little donation box there, and they set that box out for the visiting preacher, and they, people come in and and drop money in it. Well, the dad got his wallet out, dropped twenty bucks in it. Little boy seen what he dropped in, so when he got done with the preaching, they, the pastor led him back out there and said, "You know, we put this box out, and anybody that want to put anything in it." Uh, for you, you can have whatever's in it. So they opened the box and got the preacher's 20 bucks out. That was it. You get out of church what you put in it. You get out of church what you put in it. You come in here wanting to worship, wanting wholeheartedly to worship, you're going to worship. No matter what I say or what we sing, you'll worship as long as it's, it, your heart is right. When we come in here with that kind of heart, you're going to get something out of it. Now, Haggai shows them how God wants to give them a new start. Verse 18 says, Consider now from this day upward. I love that. Consider from this day and upward. In other words, the Lord's saying, I don't care what brought you to this point. Today is a new day. Today is a brand new day. When you guys rolled out of bed this morning, it was a brand new day. When you get up, if the Lord allows us to come back one more time tomorrow, or, or wake up one more time tomorrow, it'll be a brand new day. And so it was, it's from that point upward. We have a new start. When we get up, you know what? It don't have to be you getting out of bed. It can be right now at this very moment. You can say, Lord, I want a brand new start. I want a fresh start from this moment on. I don't know what, what time is it. It's 11.18. Lord, I want a new start at 11.18. And you can have it if you're willing to ask for it. God's saying today can be a start of a brand new beginning for you if you want it, if you just ask for it. Now, just like that day that Haggai spoke these words to the people, this can be a new day for us. But there's some things that we have to do. There's actually three things that we need to do according to what Haggai has wrote here. If we want a new day, then we've got to do three things. And the first thing that we've got to do, now listen to this, we need to look at where we are. Look at where we are. Look at verse 11 again. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Now listen, that, folks, that, that's just, that's not something that we understand. 
We don't get that. What? That's one of the weirdest things that you could read. What, what in the world does this verse have to do with dead bodies and pottage and wine and flesh and skirts? This don't sound right. This don't even sound like something we ought to be preaching on. But you know what? It needs to be preached on. Now, this is a little different for us. And he's, talk, he's trying to figure out how to apply something that they know, how to use something they know. So we don't know anything about this. Because this is what we call a, a, a Leviticus code. And this is something, if you go back in the book of Leviticus, this is something the priests know all about. And they know that whatever he's talking about, they understand it. They understand this completely. He's teaching them something by giving them a picture that they would understand. And that's the way Haggai would be one of those prop, prop uh, prophets, I guess. I'm a prop, prop preacher, and he's a prop prophet. So he's giving them something that they could see and that they could understand uh, a lot better than, than just trying to say stop doing this or you don't need to be doing this or you do need to do this. He give it to them in a way, that, an illustration that they could understand. Uh, the problem is we don't have the same culture in 2020 that they did back in 500 B.C. when this was written. So if I was to go back to 500 some odd B.C. and start talking about an easy button that you can smack and things will be good, they ain't going to understand a word of what I'm saying. And that's just like them coming here and telling us about don't be touching dead bodies and pottage and wine and, and wearing your skirts and all that stuff. We ain't going to get that. So Haggai is saying, let me explain this to you a little bit better. Let me try to make this a little bit more simple to you. So he refers back to that Levitical code that they all knew. And they knew it because they're building this temple. They're trying to get this temple back up so they can worship God. So these Levites, these, these priests that are, are helping rebuild this temple... They are studying Leviticus and they're learning this code because at some point when this temple's open, this is their temple. This is where they're going to be the priest. This is where they're going to go in and they're going to be able to, to meet with God and worship and do what the priest did back then in the temple. And so they're, they're, they're learning as they're building. They're not just building physically up, but mentally and spiritually they're building up their minds because they're going to be the priest of this temple. And so they know exactly what Haggai's talking about. They know in their hearts that they've got to get things right. So that's where they, they turn and they, they, they start asking these questions, or Haggai starts asking these questions. Actually, God is asking this through Haggai. And he starts referring back to things that they know. They knew what would make them ceremonially clean and unclean. They knew about the dead bodies. If you study in the Old Testament, you know Jews don't like dead bodies. I mean, think about it. They had to be dead for four days before they'd actually do anything with them. They thought that the spirit was gone by the third day, and on the fourth day it's okay to bury him. Put it like this. The, the Muslims know how bad that the Jews hate a dead body and how that they don't, because of what's in the Old Testament, they won't even go around a dead body. So do you, do you realize what the, what the Muslims have done over in Israel? When you go outside the temple, when you go to the eastern gate of the temple right now, it is nothing but a row rows not a row but rows of muslim bodies because they say when the messiah comes back he's going to come back through the eastern gate the messiah, messiah is supposed to be a jew they said well if we put these dead bodies in front of the eastern gate that jewish messiah will not walk over these dead bodies so if we prevent him from coming through the eastern gate the messiah is never going to show up folks the messiah done showed up they didn't wasted that plot of land on some dead bodies they they won't have nothing to do with dead bodies they won't touch them they can't do nothing with them. So, again, Haggai through, or God through Haggai is, is trying to open up their eyes to what's clean and what's not clean. 
through Haggai, God asks the question. I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, if you're carrying something holy in your pocket and you touch something else, does the thing that you touched make them holy? What's something ho- To me, my Bible is holy to me. This is the inspired word of God. This is holy to me. And I'm going to keep this thing. until I hope I, Don't bury me with it. I want you all to have it someday. But you can lay it on me while the casket's open. But if I put that in my pocket and I walk over here and I touch this plate, does that plate turn holy? No. That's what he's trying to explain to him. Whatever's in your pocket, it ain't going to make whatever you touch holy. If I carry this thing around with me and I start touching, piano's holy, porta pulpit's holy, table's holy, flower's holy, pulpit's holy, it don't work that way. And he's trying to explain it to him. It don't matter what's in your pocket. It ain't going to make it holy. And then you turn around and start talking about dead bodies. If you touch a dead body and you turn around and touch something else because that dead body is considered unclean, if that dead body is on your hand and you touch something else, does that become unclean or unholy? So let me help you all because we don't touch dead bodies. We're not supposed to anyway. Without gloves on. I wear gloves when I touch dead bodies or babies. So, not that baby. <laughs> I've told you all the story when Abby was born. I wouldn't touch her. The doctor kept saying, touch your baby, love your baby. I said, I was trained to wear gloves when I touched something like that. What if I'd been out and I'd been shoveling horse poop all day long without gloves on? And I'd been wallering in it. You know, I'd pick up a few and throw over it. At Abby every now and then, which I've done that before. But, you know, those little horse poops fun to throw. But what if I've been out shoveling manure all day long and I got that stuff all over my hand? And Conley is a germaphobe. And he's used hand sanitizer and he's washed with Clorox and, and everything else and he's got clean hands. But I've got poop on my hands. If I walk up and shake Conley's hand, <laughs> yeah, shake it. I, shake my hand. If I walk up and shake his hand, what just happened? Did his cleanliness come off on me? Absolutely not. But what happened? My uncleanliness came off on him. So Haggai's trying to tell him, it don't work that way. That holiness that you have in your pocket ain't going to rub off on nobody else. It ain't going to work that way. You need to open your eyes to the way that you're doing things, the way that you're rebuilding your temple, the way that you are worshiping, the way that you're treating people. Your holiness ain't rubbing off. You got to get things right in your heart. Folks, if you've been around many people that love Jesus, they, that can be contagious. Holiness can be a little contagious. If they love Jesus and they're praising God for things going on in their life, it can be a little contagious. Sometimes a lot contagious, depending on the person. And that's what, that's what he's saying. It's what's in your heart. It's on the inside. As long as the inside is clean, that's what matters. Don't worry about what's on your hands and in your pocket and up and wherever. What was he talking about here? He said, talking about, he said, if one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and that's, that skirt of his garment, it had pockets. Some skirts had pockets. He's talking about that robe and stuff that they was wearing. I've never known anybody to, I know they wasn't wearing, I wasn't, I wasn't a hog. <laughs> they, they don't do pork. But I've never met anybody except a little slice of beef jerky or something. Nobody carries meat in their pocket. That's not what we do. But he, what he's talking about right here, he said, holy flesh. 
What if they took it off the altar? What if they, that burnt sacrifice, what if they got that and put it in their pocket? That doesn't mean that whatever they touch is going to become holy. It's what's inside. Holiness doesn't rub off. And then he asks, again, I'm going to paraphrase this for you. He says, if you touch something unclean like a dead body that makes you ceremonially unclean, then what happens if you turn around and touch something else? The priest answered, and he said, it will become ceremonially unclean. So they had this Leviticus code that they were trying to follow and trying to follow it as close as possible. And that was the illustration, that they, and that's how they got it. That's how they understood it. We understand things better when we have an illustration, don't we? Now, the second thing we've got to look at is we need to look at where we was, where we were. And that's pretty important sometimes for, for some of us. We need to look at where we came from, what we came from. Look over again at verse 15. It says, And now I pray you consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat uh, uh, for, to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hell and all the labors of your hands, yet you turn not to me, saith the Lord. Now here we see that phrase for the first time, consider this day and upward. Consider this day and upward from this point on, from today on. The Lord's saying here is what I want you to think about from this point on. He says to remember what's gone on before too. Not just keeping your eyes on the future, not what's going on in the present time, but we kind of need to remember what happened in the past. Now, it's kind of like what Paul says over in, in Philippians 3. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But right before he says that he's forgotten his past, what does he do? He gives a little uh, mini briefing of his life. Philippians 3, 5 says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. The Lord is telling the people to do the same thing he told Paul to do. The only way you can move forward with a fresh new start is to forget the past and, and look in at where you was. He wants us to forget it. And I, say, I always say this, there's no future in the past. We can't harp, we can't dwell on the way that we were. We'll never grow that way. That stunts our growth. When you focus on the way that you was, and we know these people that have been, uh, you, you see them there that may have been in jail or are out of jail, but they were addicts of some sort, or they just have a really bad past. They, you know, they, they, they've been in for murder or robbery or something like that, and they keep saying, I'm too dirty, I'm not... I'm not a good enough person to be saved. I, Jesus ain't going to save somebody like me. Yeah, he is. That's your Saul days. Don't worry about your Saul days. It's time for your Paul days. Right, it's time for you to, to get cleaned up. It's time for you to let Jesus in your life and make you the new creature that he's promised us that we would be. Don't worry about the past. Get over it. God's over it. If you've asked him to forgive you for it, he's over it. 
and he ain't going to bring it back up. You don't bring it back up. But a lot of times, what do we do? We hang on it. We always remember our past. We always bring it back up. Now, he's telling us now, don't remember. It sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? He's saying remember it, but don't remember it. Remember it, but don't remember it. Well, here's what he's trying to tell us. Here's what God, through Haggai, is telling the Jews, and this is what Jesus, through Paul, is telling each one of us. He is saying, forget the past, but remember where God brought you through it. That's what we have to do as a church. We've got to forget the past, but remember where God brought us through it. That's the important part of our past. Paul said the same thing. Forget the past. I've done forgotten the past, but I'm remembering where my Jesus brought me through whatever the problem was. Haggai is saying, folks, don't worry about your past. Just remember where God was with you in the wilderness. Remember where God was with you through that pillar smoke and that fire and through the manna. And through the water, God was with you for 40 years. You can't forget that, even though it felt like an eternity, even though it felt like he abandoned you, even though you sat and you watched your ancestors die off and die off and die off, and now we have a whole new generation that's rebuilding this temple. Don't forget God. Don't forget where he was with you in that wilderness. Church, the same for us. We've been through heartaches and trials and tribulations in our life, but we cannot forget where Jesus has been with us. We cannot forget where he has held our hand and he has walked through the valley of the shadow of death with us. We can't fear no evil because he's with us. Why do we tend to forget that? Why do we, why do we dwell on the bad stuff of our past? Why can't we remember when just Jesus was with us? He's telling us, don't even forget, he said, don't even remember the good things that happened in your past. He said, forget the good, forget the bad, and always remember Jesus. Always remember where God brought you through. That's what he's telling us to do. That's tough, ain't it? We like to talk about where things were great in our lives. We like to, we don't like to talk about where things were bad in our lives. And then he says, just remember Jesus. Just remember God. Just remember that portion of your past. Not the good, not the bad, just God. Now, Christians, we should reflect on what Jesus has saved us from. Hell, we need to reflect on that. If you think about your past for just a moment, as a lot of, well, every one of us is bound for hell without Jesus. But some of us might have been on the fast track to hell. We might have been that bad. We might have been pretty rough people. But we got to remember where he brought us from and what he's done for us. The Lord is, was telling the people to remember how things were before he called them. Remember how things were before he called us, before he sent the Holy Spirit and dwelled in us, before he sent the Holy Spirit to draw us, not draw, uh, dwell on it, but to draw. Think about where we was before we was drawn by him. We was, we was in bad shape. We were sinners yet saved by grace. And now, because he's drawn us and because he's guiding us, we're sinners saved by grace. We're still sinners, but we're going north, not south now. We're going the right way. We're, we're on the right track instead of the fast track to hell. Remember, he's t uh, in Haggai, through, or God speaks through Haggai again. He says, remember, um, remember what it was like before 
the work, before you started and you got to work, remember the frustration and how it felt like you was lost. He said, remember that. But then remember where God showed up. Remember where he spoke to us. And we're in the same boat. Folks, we need to remember what it was like before we were saved. Sometimes we need to remember what it was like when we were lost. Sometimes those of us that had a, a pretty rough past have a, a, a extremely strong testimony to where God has saved us. And I, I don't know, I probably have told you all this before, but after I graduated high school, I went to Fruitland Bible College for a couple of weeks with my uncle. He was, he was enrolled there, and I got to go for free for a few weeks because I thought God was calling me into youth ministry. And I get there, and I go through classes with him, and I'm, I'm just, I'm so confused. I, I have no clue what's going on. And I met, um, his name's Lance, and I cannot remember his last name now, but he ended up, he went to school with my Uncle Brent, and he's now some big wig there at Fruitland. But I remember sitting and talking to him one evening. I said, I just, I just don't feel like this is really what, I, what God's called me to do. And he said, what kind, of, what kind of past do you have? And I said, I don't. I don't. I was never into any of the bad stuff in school, ever. I was never in trouble, I, ever. I mean, I was, a, I was a good kid. He said, you guys make the worst youth leaders in the world. <laughs> he said, you can't connect with them. You can't relate. You have never experienced anything, so you can't say, well, you know, back when I did such and such, you know, it's, you can't do that. And then, look, I mean, that was, yeah, 2000-ish. And then, then he calls me 10 years later to do something totally different than what I thought. That was the flesh. Want me to do that. But sometimes we've got to remember what it was like to be lost. And we can talk to these people that are lost and say, I experienced this. But you know when you get it. You know that you know that you know. When the Lord works on your heart and he draws you through, draws you to him, you're going to know. And oh, what an experience that is. Now, the third thing we're going to look at, last one, we need to look at where we're going. Look at verse 18 and 19 one more time. It says, Consider now from this day upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, is it yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth? From this day will I bless you. We need to look at where we're going. Where, where are we going? Where are we heading to? What's on your map? What's at the front of your mind? What are your eyes set on? What are you focused on right now? Where are we going? Where are you going? Do you have a vision? I, there's something crazy that the Southern Baptist Convention does now. It's vision. I can't remember what they're calling it right now. Vision casting is what they're calling it right now. Obviously, those leaders have never pastored a church. That's the way I look at it. It's like the guys that come up with CPR, they've never done CPR. They don't know what it's like. You, it's hard to vision cast. Because if we have 40 people in this church, there's 40 different visions. To me, vision casting is nothing more than stating your opinion about what you think the church should be doing. What should we be doing? What should each individual person be doing in, in our lives? What, what has he called each one of us to do? Then I want you to take it, because you need to worry about yourself first. What, what is your vision? What is, what's your future? And once you figure that out, 
What's the future for the church? And I'm not talking about God's church. I'm talking about Chestnut. What is the future of this church? That's a loaded question. Because, again, we're going to have 40 different opinions about our future. But we might have 40 different opinions, but I guarantee you they're all uh, about the same. We want to glorify God. That should be the future of this church, glorify God. No matter what we do in this church, we're going to glorify Him. It won't be in our name. It will be in His name. That's what we need to, when we start looking ahead and we keep our eye on the prize and we're looking at the future of this church, it ought to all come back to glorifying His name. It ought to come back to the Great Commission and what He has called us to do. That's what it all ought to boil down to. So a lot of people call it uh, a vision or long-range planning, or uh, some people call it dreaming. And that ain't dreaming. That's, we're actually focused on what we ought to be doing, what he's called us to do. But the question is, where are we going? I can't tell you where we're going. I don't know where you're going. Half the time, I don't know where I'm going. But we're going somewhere. He's got a plan for us. We've got to stop and just think about it, pray about it. Where are we going? If we're really looking for a new start, we need to take a look at where we are. We will take a look at where we was. Where are we? Where was we? But I promise you, that's not where we're going to stay. Wherever we're going, we ain't going to stay because we've got to keep moving. That's what we do. We, we move. We're constantly moving. If we are like Jesus, which we're supposed to be, he was always about his father's business, wasn't he? Everywhere he went, he was about his father's business. So he was always on the move. We are too. If we're going to be about the father's business, we've got to be moving. So wherever we're going tomorrow is not where we're going to be the next day. And wherever we're at the next day is not where we're going to be the next month. We're always on the move. We're always pushing forward to the mark. We've got our eye on the mark. We know where we're going, keeping our eye focused on that. Jesus didn't save us to, to bring us together, and that's it. He didn't save each one of us just to come to this church and just come to church. That's not what he saved us to do. He saved us and brought us together for a reason, and it ain't just to occupy a little bit of space. He didn't save us and bring us together just because it's our religious duty each week. And that's the way a lot of people look at church on Sunday. It's a religious duty. It's not. There's so much more to this. It's not just to come and have bat your batteries recharged every Sunday because sometimes we need a, a good jump start before we go into Mondays because, you know, everybody hates a Monday. We need to get recharged before we go to work. And it ain't just to come and enjoy each other's company, which we get to do that. It's, it's an honor to, to be you know, with you guys and enjoy each other's company, but that's not why he saved us. The Lord has brought us here for one purpose, and that's to accomplish that great commission. We got to accomplish it. We've got a lot of work to do still, but he's brought us together to continue to equip us through his word so that we can go to other uttermost parts of the world, so that we can go to those four corners that he talked about. He's got a great plan. Now, is this going to happen overnight? Probably not. Is this going to happen in the next week or month? Probably not. Is it going to happen in our lifetime? 
Might not. I don't know. Maybe in the, in the baby's lifetime, but might not be my lifetime. When is it going to happen? I don't know. God will bring revival. I know he'll, he'll bring it. At some point, if that's the way we're praying, he will bring that revival. He's going he's gonna to allow us to work and do the Great Commission thing and, and to go out and make disciples and do what we're supposed to do. He's going to let us do that. And at some point, he's going to send one more great revival. And then he's going to, I really, that's, guys, you might think I'm crazy, but that's the way I feel. We're going to have one more good revival, great revival, great awakening, great shaking. And he's going to call us home. He's got millions, if not billions of Christians in the world right now going and doing the Father's business, going about the Father's business, going out and trying to make the disciples. And we're going out and we're, we're preaching Christ and him crucified and resurrected. We're doing what he's called us to do. So at some point, he's going to say enough is enough. He's going to say, Jesus, go, go get my bride. Go get your bride. Go get your bride. Bring them all. Bring them home. It's over with. But we got to keep working. He's going to bring the revival, but we got to keep working. Now look at verse 18 again. It says, the Lord told his people to stop and think about it. Verse 18 says, consider now from this day and upward. Stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. What are you doing? What did you do? What are you doing now? What are we going to do tomorrow? He's saying stop. When he says consider, he says stop now from this day and upward. Consider, think about it. From right now on, think about it. From the 4 and 20th day and the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Think about it. From the time that we started laying the block till now, think about it. From this point on as we're laying the block, think about it. What's the plan? Think about what's going on today. Think about what things were like 16 years ago when you stopped building the temple. Think about that time. Think about what was going on in your lives when that foundation was laid and when he gave another. Then, of course, Haggai gave another illustration. And this time it was something that we can all relate to, I think. I love this illustration. And you can sum it up like this. Is your seed in the barn or in the ground? Is your seed in the barn or in the ground? Verse 19 says, is the seed yet in the barn? Where is your seed? From the moment we took the girls back to Ebenezer Wednesday, I, I've heard the same thing from I don't know how many people, and you probably have too. You planted seed. You planted seed. You planted seed. And I, and I hope we did. Because Lord knows we didn't leave our seed in the barn. But you're in the same boat. You're, each one of you have an abundant amount of seed that God has blessed you with. Don't put it in the barn. Put it in the ground. What happens with seed? You put it in the ground. What happens if you watch seeds grow? It feels like they never grow. What is it about a pot of coffee? You know, if you watch a bowl and pot of coffee, it never boils. Or if you watch the cake that you're baking, it never bakes. It just seems like it takes forever. If you put that seed in the ground and you sit there and stare at it, it don't feel like it's ever going to grow, does it? It's just slow. The only thing growing around it's the weeds, not, not so much the seed. But think about that, that seed. If we've taken a new look at where we are and where we was and where we're, where we're going, then the seed is in the ground. That means we, we have planted the seed, and now we're getting ready to watch it grow. And that means... It's going to grow because we've done something with it. We've taken it from the barn 
and put it in the ground. Slowly, what happens with that seed? It becomes a sprout. And then from that sprout, it becomes a seedling. And then from that seedling, it will become a tree. And from a tree, it's going to start producing fruit. That's why you don't put your seed in the barn. If your seed stays in the barn, it ain't going to produce fruit. If you keep your seed in your pocket, you ain't going to produce no fruit. That's what we do. We make fruit. We're producing fruit. If you ain't bearing no fruit, your seed's in the barn. God don't want seed in the barn. He wants it in the ground. He wants it growing and producing and, and making something. What happens with what happens between planting and bearing? When you plant that seed and it starts bearing fruit, what happens? Growth. Growth happens. We're growing. As Christians, we're growing. Seeds have been planted in us, and we're starting to bear fruit. We're growing. And most trees continue to grow, don't they? It can be painful for them sometimes. We've got to go in and, and, and prune them back a little bit so they'll, they'll grow more. But unless it blows down, they're going to continue to, to bear fruit and grow as long as we're pruning them back. And, and that growth, again, it can be painful. Healthy growth is, is rarely quick. I mean, I don't know anything that grows fast and produces that's actually healthy. I've watched that. He planted a bunch of hybrids one time, hybrid apple trees. Boy, they shot up in no time. We get about one apple a year off of it. <laughs> so you got you to gotta watch them. I think Uncle Lester was nipping a little bit when he, when he put those together. I'm just saying. <laughs> but all, every growth involves change. If you watch a tree grow, it changes. New limbs sprout out. You might get a little fungus on the side. You, your bark might get removed or something like that. But that growth, it's going to produce something great at the end. It's going to produce that fruit. When the Lord spoke these, this, uh, this word to the people, it was still very early in the planting process. So they, they, wasn't, they couldn't hardly grasp it yet because they were just seedlings. They were just starting to grow. They were just getting to see what God could do. Again, remember, their whole family had died off, and this was that, that new generation coming up. So they're just growing. They're still in that seedling stage. They hadn't even started producing fruit yet. So that was going to be, it's going to be a, it, it was going to be a great time when they finally got to produce that fruit and they can say, oh, I remember what Haggai was talking about, the seed in the barn. It all makes perfect sense now. Where they was looking, nothing like, where they was looked, nothing like where they had been. At that moment, I think it was December 18th, if I'd done the math right. So when, when Haggai wrote that, it was around December 18th, 528 B.C., I believe. So it is a long time from 2020. So it was a long time. Things had changed a little bit. But where they was at that point in time didn't look like it did 16 years ago or 40 years ago prior to that or whatever it was. Things had changed. Where they was looked nothing like where they were heading. I think about that building houses. And you're able to go in in just a few weeks. You can go from poured footers, block lathe, and a roof on it in just a few weeks. It don't take much. So you can look at where you, you was with your footers, and that someday, someday you can look back at where you had been with a roof on it. And they were doing the same thing.
with that, that temple that can look back at what the great things that God had done for them. So that day marked a fresh new start for God's people from that day upward, from that day and upward. It was a brand new start, a brand new day. They was able to take a look back at what God had delivered them from, and they was able to see his grace. And I'm going to end with this. I want you to look back on your life, not at the good, not at the bad, but look at where God was and look at his grace. Look at where his grace, and the Bible tells us that his grace is sufficient. And you look back on your life, good or bad, and you tell me one time in your life, good or bad, and God's there, his grace wasn't sufficient because you ain't going to find it. You won't find a time in your life where his grace wasn't sufficient. You won't find a time in your life where he wasn't there to support you. If he felt distant from you, it was your fault, not his. You pushed him away. Good or bad, God was there. That's what we got to remember. Good or bad, if you're looking back in your past, God, that's what you got to look for. Look for God in your past. Don't look at the good. Don't look at the bad. Just look at where God was there with you to pull you through. Some of us need a fresh new start. Maybe this has been a bad week. It's been a bad year. Maybe it's just been, been rocky. Some of us might need a fresh new start today. God will give it to you. God's going to give it to you. Make sure, make sure that you, you clean yourself up inside and ask for that new start. And I promise he'll give it to you. Stand with me. We're going to close out.